Thank you for listening to the Pet Peeves Podcast, hosted by me, comedian Albert Escobedo. I am a registered veterinary technician and not a doctor, so please consult your private veterinarian before taking my advice. Thank you and enjoy the episode. Welcome back, back, everybody. How's it going? Oh, Mike. Doing well, Albert. Good to see you. Here we are with episode four of Veterinary Professional Answers with your favorite veterinary technician and stand-up comedian from Los Angeles, Albert Escobedo. My name is Michael Beagley. Fortunate enough to be Albert's friend and producer of the show. Welcome to episode four, everyone. How you feeling, Albert? I'm feeling awesome, man. Great to be here. It is the 5th of July. Yesterday was the 4th. Happy 4th of July, everybody. Thank you for coming back to the show. Episode number three, Q&A, veterinary professional. Episode answers. number four, Albert. Episode number four. Episode number four. We're getting Excuse after me. it, man. Oh, my God. Time flies. Wow. Time flies. Well, episode four sounds better than three. So we're already you know at it. a good start. Episode four right after the fourth. We got this. There you go. The fourth was yesterday. Fourth episode today. That's easy to remember. Okay. So Appreciate our, our national day here in Belgium is July 21st. So I have that to look forward to, to uh, convince Salty that the sky is in fact not falling. It's not... <laughs> It's not the Russians. Uh, we're, we're okay. It's just fireworks. Uh, <laughs> yes. How about you guys? How did the pets handle all the fireworks and festivities? They don't like it. They are not fans. They don't understand. And uh, hard for me to understand, too, just that people are lighting off fireworks way before the 4th and then all night long. And then we're in a pretty, pretty fun neighborhood. So people like to light off fireworks. The neighbors across the street. So the pets don't have a good time. But I don't know. The new one, the little kitty, we're fostering a little paraplegic kitten named Nugget. And Nugget was very afraid the day before on the third. And then on the fourth, seemed to tolerate a little bit better and was asleep yesterday during the worst parts of it. But my dog freaking out the whole time, my cat freaking out the whole time. They just find places to hide and shake. And we just try to be there with them. Yeah, um, we'll we'll have to put a link uh, to it. But we I know we're recording this after the fourth, but um, for any kind of festivities, any kind of fireworks, you put out a video a couple of years ago, uh, yeah. giving people some recommendations for what to do uh, for your pets in those situations. So people should go check that out. We'll put a link yeah. to that. Yeah, there's a video on YouTube and I'm pretty sure it's on like Facebook and Instagram about mm-hmm. fireworks and pets and anybody can go refer to that video. Yeah, we'll post the link. Cool. Cool. Well, what do you say? Let's get started with the next round of questions. All right. Yes, let's do it. Questions from the internet. Google, oh. give me your questions. <laughs> Here we go. All right. So what are the pros and cons of pet grooming? Starting with something a little lighter here. And I know, um, for example, I don't really pay for pet grooming, but um, per your recommendation, uh, we give Salty a bath. We say every month, but really it's about every six weeks, five, six weeks. Um, But we try to give her a bath um, before giving her her uh, like tick and flea and um yeah it's the flea and tick treatment they do like a liquid behind the neck um here so we try to bathe her especially because she's an indoor outdoor cat and she just loves rolling around in dirt and getting all dirty she's a dirt ball so yeah that's um, that's pretty normal 
and she's getting a little bit used to it, but uh, she always gets a few good scratches in. She's uh, little did you know, cats don't like baths, but you teach them and they get a little better over time. I mean, a lot of dogs don't like baths. So, um, but I think this is about pet grooming, but let's, let's make this subject about going to a professional pet groomer and then yeah, doing it, pet grooming yourself. What do you, what, what do you have to share with us? Well, I think the, the pros are that your pet won't look like uh, a mop or that your pet won't have a bunch of mats in their fur and a bunch of dreadlocks. You know, I think that the, the most important part for grooming is for the pets that have a lot of hair that have a lot of fur. And if you don't keep up with it, it's going to be a mess in your home. Sure. You're going to have a lot more pet fur on your furniture and your clothes, but m- mainly the, the pet itself, it's uncomfortable for them. Grooming is not a medical issue unless you don't do it. Then it becomes a medical issue. And right. in my position as a, the vet tech, I'm not grooming pets unless people don't take care of their pet's fur and it becomes matted and those mats become attached to the skin or their ear infections get really bad or their toenails Mm. grow into their paw pads. Mm. Then it's not grooming anymore. Then it's medical. So the pros are your pet's going to look better, feel better. The cons of pet grooming is those differentiations between when is it grooming and when does it become medical? Your groomer is not qualified to make that decision. So somebody who has a pet that's grooming situation is so bad that it is now a medical condition and they take it to the groomer, you might not have a groomer that knows what they're doing and will just try to clean it and do the best they can and send it back home. And they didn't actually fix the problem. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and there's there's a, a variety of pet grooming out there. Of course, like my perspective as a cat owner is that, but I grew up with dogs um, and we had um, a a big dog and a smaller dog growing up. They both make it a little bit both difficult on you and pretty easy now compared to cats. But it's interesting. Um, there's a lot of different animals out there that that all require some kind of grooming. And I've been on YouTube and I checked out um, horses. They have a really unique set of grooming and like their hooves need a lot of care. And so you need to be a specialist to work on that stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly it too. The groomer, that was the other uh, point that I wanted to make. A groomer is a lot of times that I've worked with, and this is definitely anecdotal. There's no evidence behind this. Most of the groomers that I have worked with are not trained groomers. They're just somebody who had an interest in pet grooming and got into it and is getting paid to do it. But the, the truly qualified and they probably have licenses and certifications, pet groomers are rare in my experience and definitely not the, the norm for the norm is just somebody with some clippers. So I think people that that have a pet that requires specific grooming, you should make sure your pet groomer is licensed and certified and actually knows what they're doing. And if you have a pet like a horse, you know, and that grooming is going to be a little bit more you know, specific, a little less general knowledge around it, you're probably not going to be able to get that kind of knowledge just from going to PetSmart and asking the guy that works there. You know, that's, those are kind of things that are going to take some personal research and reach out to your veterinarians. Grooming is very important. And if, like I said earlier, if it's not done properly, it's going to become a medical issue. So don't rely on somebody who just says they know what they're doing. Make sure they have the the references and the credentials to back that up. Grooming is not to be taken lightly. And I think a lot of pet problems are preventable if people had more grooming knowledge. Some quick questions. How often should you bathe your pets and which pets don't really need bathing? At least human assisted bathing. Yeah. Yes. That's what I was going to say. When they need it, right? Bathe your pets when they need it. So that means either 
or they got dirty and you should clean them, you know, and giving them a full bath might not be necessary. Pet wipes go a long way. Uh, you know, soap and water on a wet washcloth goes a long way for pets that have like softer fur or more delicate fur or like a young animal that you don't want to get too wet because it's hard for them to maintain their body temperature. Uh, wet washcloths go a long way. But for like my dog or my cat, maybe once a month, maybe once a month, if they're just going to outside to use the bathroom and coming back in and we're doing mm -hmm. regular brushing and regular monitoring. I think a lot of the reasons why me as a veterinary professional, I would recommend somebody brushing their pet every single day. Okay. I do not brush my pet every day. I should, I would, if I had a pet with longer fur, my dog has short fur, my cat grooms herself, you know? So I don't really need to, but I think that the reason why we recommend it is because it gives you an opportunity to bond with your pet. Mm. And it also gives you an opportunity to look for lumps and bumps and changes and abnormalities that you're not going to notice if you're not running your hand or your fingers or brushes through the whole body of your pet. Mm -hmm. And that's something that is, uh, easily missed, you know, lumps and bumps and something that wasn't there yesterday, you'll notice if you're doing regular grooming. So mm -hmm. for me, for my pets, I do regular physical examinations. I'm always checking my pets for things that weren't there yesterday. That's my main concern. If it wasn't there yesterday, I need to know and track progress. And I don't think a groomer is qualified to do that. I don't think a groomer is looking for things like that. Mm -hmm. And you as the pet owner is kind of your responsibility to know what's going on with your pet. So regular grooming is going to help you have a general overall assessment of your pet's health. Any recommendations for uh, pets who are reluctant to, you know, cooperate with the brush? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cooperate with the brush, do sh uh, short sessions in the beginning, you know, really short and try to get them when they're sleeping. You know, I'm thinking of cats right now, mainly. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, try to catch them when they're sleeping, try to catch them like when they're in your lap and just make it like not something extra or new in the beginning and start when they're young, I think mm -hmm. is a real easy way to get animals, pets acclimated to these mm -hmm. things. Start when they're young, short sessions in the beginning. Don't try to hold your cat down for 20, 30 minutes. If they don't like it, make it a minute or two. And just also, you know, that, that normal positive interaction with it, where you're just trying to get them used to an, an, a, a new thing, yeah. like generalizing the behavior, kind of uh, desensitizing them to it. Just put them near the brush, touch them with the brush. Positive association. Yes. Touch them with the brush, pet them, give them treats or whatever, give them lots of love. Mm -hmm. Do one stroke, give them lots of love, treats, pets, whatever they like, and uh, take it a slowly, you know, slowly. And also catching them when they're sleepy seems to be a pretty popular technique. Okay. Um, there's also... Uh, Fun fact for people who are cat owners out there, it, it doesn't begin and end with a hard plastic handle and metal prongs for a brush. Mm. We own one of those. We also have a glove yeah. um, with kind of hard plastic kind of ends to the glove. I like and the, glove. the glove, you kind of massage them with your natural hand motion yeah. because sometimes the cat can tell, oh, that's not a natural hand motion with the with the brush, even though the brush mm. is more effective. The the glove gets a lot. So so yeah, that's good. Check out the gloves. Those are those are good out there. Um, I'm, and I'm trying to think. You recommended to me, obviously, like way before we did this pod, um, about the idea of giving your cat a bath, even if it's only when they need it. You know, occasionally because uh, when they're young, because you told me that when they get older, they're geriatric and there are problems. Um, uh, for example, like uh, feces in the fur, stuff like that kind of stuff, uh, near end of life, geriatric cat issues, you're going to want to make get them used to the bath, to know that the bath is not a threat. And yes. so even though I get a little scratched up when we put salty, uh, when we give salty a bath, 
Um, and even though we're motivated to give her a bath because she's a dirt ball, you know, especially in the summertime, uh, there are other benefits. So you told me that lesson. Can you yeah. elaborate on that a little bit for everybody? Yeah, else? I think it's um, it's really important to get your pets used to things that inevitably they're going to have to have happen to them. And mm. something like as they get older, they're going to need more grooming. They're going to groom themselves less. They're going to take care of themselves less. And that's mm-hmm. just natural for cats and dogs. As they get older, they take care of themselves less and less. We have to do more for them. So I think having them get used to being wet, being in the bathtub, having their you know fur wet and soap and all that is really good for their later in life treatments. And then also like when they ever need to go to an animal hospital and they make a mess of themselves and we have to give them a bath, it's really, really hard if it's the first time they've ever gotten a bath. Uh, but there are some pets and animals that just will never take it well, no matter how much you try, no matter how much you know what you're doing. And sometimes we have to use that chemical restraint for a lot of the pets coming for baths. If they're just unbelievably uncooperative, a little bit of chemistry is used. And I would prefer that never to happen. Obviously, I don't want to sedate a dog for a bath or a cat for a bath. Yeah. It's really not worth it. But for some pets and animals, they just really are never going to tolerate it. There are some things that you can do. Uh, there are uh, methods that I've used for difficult dogs and cats to keep them in the bathtub. And it's a leash. Use the leash in the bathtub and leash them to the sink or to the faucet or leash them to, some, you know, if you have a, anything in there that's secure yeah. in the bathtub. Like if you have a, a soap dispenser that has a bar or, you know, like a handicap bar or something that you can leash them to. And yeah. the bathtubs yeah. that we have at the animal facilities, there's always something you can leash them to and tie them to the wall so they can't get away. And is it the most awesome thing in the world? No, but it does make it a faster process than if you're trying to wrestle with the dog or the cat in the bathtub. And for some dogs and cats, I've used two leashes, one to keep them this way and one to keep them that way. So they can't move in either direction too much. Okay. And uh, I'm still there to restrain them. So they're not going to strangle themselves, but it is a very useful technique, the leashing them to the wall or having two leashes, or obviously if you have a second person, to maybe even be in the bathtub with the pet. That's mm-hmm. something that works too. My wife and I, when we're fostering pets, a lot of the times when they're new to our environment and new to bathing and grooming, we'll get in the bathtub with them. And that makes them feel more calm too. And you don't have to worry about like holding them too hard, which will also be stressful and traumatic. For everyone involved. Yeah. 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 Right. Well, plus, if you can get them out of there quicker, then it's probably just less Absolutely. of an unpleasant right. experience. So that's it's inevitably also, an unpleasant experience. But yeah. Yeah. For you, you people giving the pets baths at home and it's not going well, you know, d- stop. You know, if, it, if their pets really freaking out, you have to stop and try something else, because if they're really freaking out and you traumatize them, they're never mm-hmm. going to be OK. They're always right. going to freak out. So you got to try something else. The bathtub outside, like you see people using the kiddie pools. OK. Uh, you know. Just like I said earlier, wet washcloths or pet cloths that are made for pets. Uh, those and waterless shampoo. Waterless shampoo is a is a product that you could just spray on your pet. It okay. just sprays on there, soaps up. You scrub it off, and it dries on its own. Yeah, the dry shampoo. Yeah, look for that. And before okay. I forget to mention it, my veterinarian that I work with now, he recommended the Furminator for pet fur. The Furminator is a brush that has like a two pronged system for getting out the undercoat and the top coat. And mm. my veterinarian swore by it. And this was a couple of days ago. We were just talking about how to control pet hair at home. And he recommended the Furminator for everybody out there. Dr. Stump recommends the Furminator. The Furminator. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, two more quick questions. I know we're going long on this, but there's there's so many things about pet grooming. Um, one of them was, 
something I've experienced, actually, I didn't know this, but cats can get acne. And one of the ways they can is from uh, plastic food bowls. So we have an automatic cat feeder, which is super convenient, but we, you know, we gotten a little bit lazy with like cleaning out the food bowl between feedings. You know, we're only human. It happens. And she started getting little pimples. And so we were kind of teasing her like, Oh, she's a teenager. Of course she gets pimples. But then we looked into it and there you go. (laughs) Apparently porcelain bowls are better for fighting against stainless steel. Yeah. Ceramic. Okay. Ceramic is what I recommend people. Ceramic or stainless steel. Ceramic is breakable. It could break. So stainless steel is easy to clean. It's smooth surface. It doesn't get those little grooves in it. With plastic, there's microscopic little grooves. And Mm. when the pets are scratching it or biting it too, then it makes deeper grooves and you cannot get the bacteria out of there, no matter how hard you try. And they're just putting their face right into it. Yeah. And then they get the chin acne. It's really common. Even like pimples that you can literally. That's what she gets like little pimples here on the, on on the chin. So we're like, we're rubbing her face. We're cleaning the thing, but maybe, maybe we can get some kind of steel bowl to go over it. That'll help a lot. Or just washing your bowls on a regular basis. We're starting to wash it more on a regular basis. It's starting to die down, but it'll go away. It's no big deal. Clean the chin too. Soap and water. We do. And then put some like neosporin or whatever. You have at home. And that'll go a long way, but typically Johnson's when clean and clear, like she's a teenager, you know, I mean, could, it would work. <laughs> it would work when the cats come to me and they have the really bad chin acne. I just scrub it really hard with soap and water, but the antibacterial scrub that we have chlorhexidine okay. and okay. Uh, you could buy that at the store. You could buy chlorhexidine at the store. It's just okay. like a, a, a less concentrated type than they use in surgery, but it's an antibacterial. soap. they, they have it in like pads. Like if you ever like a tub that has the pads, antibacterial it's probably what they use for pimples something similar yeah those like little, scrub little, little oxy pads growing up yeah, yeah exactly like, oxy pads that's what i was thinking of and like that would work uh, on a cat too absolutely and then i yeah. just tell the people to uh get rid of the plastic bowls get some ceramic or stainless steel yeah. bowls and it fixes itself the problem uh, the is it's kind of had, built into the feeder but i wonder if we can find one that fits just perfectly you know so you could yeah. Yeah. It's hard. I'm looking at mine right now too. And it's made out of plastic. And that just means inevitably my cat will, will have some chin acne because it's, I can't take yeah. the tray out and just clean it. It's attached to the machine. It's attached to the machine. Yeah, exactly. I might we'll try to find some to, kind of solution. Yeah, but for now it's like the, the, it. the, the face cleanliness. We need to kind of mm-hmm. try to wash yeah. your face a little bit every day and try to wash the bowl yeah. every day. It so. is important for people to know that if your cat has chin acne, that it's sometimes hard to clean it properly if you don't shave the fur off. Sometimes if it's really bad, you have to shave all the fur so you can properly clean it. If you can't properly clean it, it's never going to get better. And if it's all crusted up in the fur, you're not going to be able to clean it properly. Okay. Okay. Uh, last quick hit. And then I promise we're, we're, we're done with this, but again, so many subsets of, of questions that we could hit. Grooming. Um, uh, the, the thing about grooming that I wanted to ask was, do you just have general recommendations for, for cutting nails? Like maybe frequency is a difference between like big dogs, small dogs, cats, uh, cutting nails is so important. I'm glad you brought it up, man. There's so much we could talk about in grooming, you know, but, the uh, the cutting the nails, you have to, again, start young. And if you start young, you only need to cut the tips of your pet's nail. The quick, you know, the nail and the nerve that's going to hurt and bleed if you cut it right. too far back. Right. It's sometimes hard to judge. Even if your pet has clear pink nails that you can see the vein, you could see the nerve. Mm-hmm. Some breeds have longer quicks than others, like the dachshunds and the basset hounds. And these dogs that are meant for digging, they have yeah. really long quicks. And sometimes it's very hard to tell. It's, it's like, uh, 
it's mis it's misguiding. You look and you can see the vein in there. You can see it, but it's longer than it looks. So I don't recommend people taking a chance. If you don't know what you're doing, if you if you're new to cutting nails, don't even try. Take them to the professional. Let them do it, or have somebody teach you how to do it. Don't don't listen to YouTube videos because the dogs and cats are too varied, and people's ability to restrain is too varied, and you can really really hurt your pet. Yeah. I also don't like the the nail files, like the 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 Dremel drills. You know, it's like sandpaper, and they, it's like a Dremel rotating yeah, yeah. Tool, hand tool, and you can file the nails back with a dog or a cat. That works well if you have an animal that tolerates it, but that's taking a lot longer. That takes a lot longer than just the one clip, Trying and also that vibration. Yeah. The vibration of that machine also freaks animals out and the, the nail clips are just way faster, way faster. Noise. Way faster. I mean, the Dremel thing, that just sounds like torture. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have good experiences with it, but I have worked at places where we have it because certain owners will request it. Some owners will say, I don't want my nails, dogs, cats, nails clipped. I want them dremeled and we'll charge them an extra fee and we'll do it because it takes longer. It's going to cost more. Uh, but to them, it's they think it makes the nail smoother once you trim it which it kind of does if you do it right but you can make it pretty not sharp with the clippers if you know what you're doing you can clip off the sharp yeah. edges yeah uh, but for nail trimming you know find someone that knows what they're doing and teach you but if you're trying to do it at home and you really think you know what you're doing i just always recommend people just the tip just the sharp yeah. tip and then do you it more frequently trim it all the way back yes and just do it twice a week or every other week you know just do it on yeah. a regular basis and for dogs, walk your dogs on cement. It'll file them back. Right. Yep. And, uh, you know, doing them on a regular basis will also make your pets more used to it. Yeah. And it's not such a crazy event. And also you could do one nail at a time. If your pet is having a really hard time with it, if they're really difficult to restrain, do mm -hmm. one nail at a time. Do one nail, wait a while, then do another nail, then wait a while, do another nail before yep. you hold them down and freak them out and hurt them and stress them out and traumatize them. Yeah. Kate might Fighting get the nails whole, is really a pause of if she's going at it, you know, like it just, yeah, it's a process. It could be a process and that's okay. I think it's um, really hard to get the nail to stop bleeding. Once you've clipped it too far, it's really, really hard, but I will give you some advice. What will work to stop the bleeding? If you've cut the nail back too far, soap, like a bar of soap, take that nail that's clipped too far and just like dig it into a bar of soap and that will plug the hole or a uh, baking powder or, or uh, mm. baking soda or mm. baby powder or any powder that will kind of coagulate once you put it in there. Okay. Uh, what I've used in the past is baby powder or baking soda or baking powder, like something like okay. that, that you can okay. pack in there will also work. Uh, and then melted wax, melted wax will also plug that hole for you. All these okay. things will help you with, which I've used at home in a pinch when I didn't have the proper quick stop, there's quick stop powder that, yeah. that is made for that, that I didn't have. And then there's like uh, silver nitrate sticks that you could put on a nail that'll make it okay. stop bleeding also. So a lot of different options for coagulating blood if you've cut your nail too far. Thank you, Albert. Those are some great tips. And just, you know, from, from me, from one pet owner to another, just, just keep your head up out there. Sometimes it can be a process, it can be a little frustrating. Your, your pet doesn't want to give into the, the grooming, but it's, uh, they do end up warming up to it. If you just make it a habit, if you make it and a brush regular their teeth, <laughs> yeah. brush your pet's teeth at home, All save yourself it. a couple of thousand dollars, brush your cat's teeth, brush your dog's teeth, start when they're young. 
And, just, and it kind of goes back to one of the themes that we go over all the time in this podcast, which is like just owning a pet takes responsibility. You, you, yes. you, you got to put in the time. So. Dental chews don't work. Don't believe the hype. Dental chews don't work. That's, that's a hot take. <laughs> yeah. All I got to say is you have teeth, right? If you only chewed hard things, would your teeth be clean? I mean, of course not. Not to the standard Period. of going to the dentist. Yeah. Period. That's what it's doing for your dog's teeth too. But there are not things in our diet that can help the process. You got to brush your teeth. Okay. You got to brush your teeth, right? Is there any but, way around you have to brush your teeth? But like eating carrots, eating celery, eating, like eating these kind of scrubbing and sure. eating nuts and like there's sure. things you can do in your diet, but yeah, still, of course you got to brush your teeth, but right. Of course, no matter what, you still have to brush your teeth. So people yeah. think the dog bone or the dental treat or the dental drops that they put in the water are going to stop your pet from needing regular teeth brushing. It doesn't, you have to do the regular teeth brushing or you're going to end up needing a dental before your pet's three to five years old. We're going to, we're going to do that as a question next time. There's sometimes you bring stuff up during the podcast and I'm like, that's gotta be a question. We've got one of those this week, you know? So grooming uh, is a big yeah. topic. We got to get to like the nitty gritty. Here we are again, the nuances. That's the pet peeves <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Sorry, this went a little long everyone, but there's so much information here. We got to break these up into smaller topics. All right, here we go. Next one. What to do with your pet in the case of emergency. So I think this can go one of two ways, Albert. I think we can talk about if there's emergency with the human, what to do with the pet. And if there's emergency with the pet, of course, what to do with the pet. Yes, this is a great topic. What to do with your pet in case of emergency is hope that you already watched this video. If you're <laughs> currently experiencing an emergency and you're off YouTube, what should I do in an emergency? And you're watching this face, it's too late for you. You should have already done this when you first got your pet. So plan ahead is what you should do for emergencies. Uh, and most of the time, people hopefully have had the unnecessary learning opportunity to have to take their pet to emergency for one reason or another. So they know where there's an emergency hospital. They know there's going to be an absorbent fee just for being seen. And they know that, you know, they're going to try to avoid that emergency trip at all costs if necessary. So those are the things that I think are at the top of your emergency list. Know where there's an emergency animal facility near you. You got to have a couple of options because just because there's one near you, you try to go there in an emergency and they might tell you the doctor's busy and they can't see patients for another two or three hours. So knowing a couple of options for emergency services near and around you, uh, 24 hour facilities, hopefully you have one around you, make sure you know where one is if you have a pet and have a plan for getting there. Now we're back to a previous topic. If you're experiencing an animal emergency and you're taking your pet to the animal hospital, they're going to put your pet in a cage or a shoreline or some kind of confinement. So if your pet has never been in a cage before and your pet is not kennel trained or crate trained and your cat's never been in a carrier before, you're now not just experiencing this emergency. Now you're trying to get your pet to do something it's never done before. So before you experience emergencies, crate train your pets, carrier train your pets, learn how to get your pet into and out of a carrier and into and out of your car. The emergency that I've experienced that people didn't know what to do where when you have a really large dog and you have one person to try to get that dog in and out of a car and in and out of an emergency facility by yourself and you're not 
big enough or strong enough to do something with a 150 pound dog or 200 pound mastiff or great dane and these are the dogs that have emergencies they have emergencies just like every other dog and people aren't planning ahead for how am i going to get this giant animal into the backseat of my you know my volt a car that's even too small for that dog so like those are things that people are calling the animal hospital expecting us to like send them a truck or an ambulance we don't have that so you have to have this plan for your pet if there's ever an emergency also hope you have some funds available emergency is not cheap no matter what um am i covering everything what do you think michael i think you're doing great i mean it's it's the only thing I wanted to say was you talked about uh, kennel training. I mean, the thing, especially from a, a cat owner's perspective, um, you know, it's summertime. We've taken Salty out to the parks now three times so far this spring and summer on a leash. So, like, it's I'm not saying she needs to be leash trained for for an emergency. We're going to take her in the carrier from the whatever vehicle we're taking to the hospital. But the fact that like she associates the character with good things, if she's, she also um, becomes docile and looks at the carrier as a point of safety, you know? So we'll be at the park and she'll say, you know what? I've had enough. And so she'll jump in the carrier and, and kind of these really positive associations with the carrier. Just, she has a relationship with the carrier, her carrier equals safety. Her carrier equals she's held by her owners and she's safe even in what would otherwise be a scary situation. And she kind of like, you know, of course she was a little spooked the first time we took her to the park. This is a busy city park. Brussels is a busy city. There's a lot of um, population density here, but um, we take her to the park now, same population density, same crowds of people. And she kind of doesn't care. She's like, I know this carrier. I know this experience. Whenever I want to just say, you know what, uncle, I surrender. Let's, let's, let's go home. You know, taps out. Yeah. She goes in there and she actually just falls asleep. She just falls asleep on the way home, you know, and she's that calm in the carrier. Now, if it's an emergency for her, she's going to be kind of freaking out. And even if it's an emergency for us, she's very empathetic as are most pets. She kind of knows what's going on when we're not doing well. Um, She won't love it, but she can get into a carrier. And the fact that like, you know, she's a lot less reluctant than I think some cats are to get into their carriers because I think some owners don't like normalize it. They don't, they don't take the opportunity. And you know what? Taking your cat out to the park is fun. It just is. It's silly fun, you know? So they get to explore, they get to see new things and she loves her backyard because she, she gets to see new things, smell new things, have new experiences. And she's always very loving for the next like 48, 72 hours afterwards. She knows it's special. She knows it's really cool. So she's thankful. So like right. try all this. I know we're talking about emergencies, but try all this because when you're in an emergency situation, you're going to thank yourself for having done all Absolutely. of that legwork. Yes. And you're hitting all the nails, all the nails that I want to mention that it's not for the moment. It is like you said, going to the park is fun and that and this and that, but you know, you're preparing for the emergency. You're preparing for your pet to be in a situation where things are not great, but they have that safe space. And my cat's the same way. We did some, car training and carrier training because we drove across the country from Chicago to Los Angeles. And she had to be in the carrier for four days in the car. And uh, we didn't know how she was going to handle it. She had never done that before. She had never been in the car except for the day we got her and never been in a carrier because the day we got her, she was so small. We didn't need a carrier. I held her in my hands. And so we trained her and she did really, really well. And now I know when we are in the car with her and the carrier, I just opened the door and she goes in and out of the carrier as she pleases in the car. Okay. And if she gets really stressed in the car, which sometimes she does, she'll start meowing. She'll just go into the carrier and just like hide. 
And that's exactly what you want. And the same thing from your dog is to have that same safety in there. And yeah. especially if they're going to a facility, you just don't want that to be the first time they've been in a kennel, the first time they've been in a crate. Yeah. Uh, the other part of emergency is hopefully your pet isn't a very picky eater. So I do really, really, it's no more time to stress to somebody that you shouldn't feed your pet people food than when there's an emergency and they have to spend a lot of time at the animal hospital because we're not going to offer your pet people food. So if your pet doesn't like dog food or cat food, we're going to have a problem. So that's why people should not spoil their pets with food that is not made for pets. Because then when they're sick, they don't want to eat anything except for French fries and pizza. And we're not, and that's just going to make them more sick. So we're not going to offer them that. And that's what people be like, oh, they really like in and out burgers. And like, well, we're not going to offer your dog. Oh, come on, man. But maybe, you know, maybe. Like I understand some homemade recipes that are specifically designed for pets, but yeah, no, you really hear these stories of people giving like, like you said, because the cat won't eat, like the dog won't eat, the cat won't eat. And when they're like, oh, because they don't, they don't eat cat food. They don't eat dog food. Well, now when we salty's have not feeling well, we'll go to the, the butcher and we'll get either some fish or some chicken and we'll shred it That's up and we'll fine. boil it with water and we'll just give That's her fine. that. It is specifically made for a cat, you know? Yeah, we do that too. If a cat and dog are not eating, we'll, we have like deli meats and select meats mm. that are not cured and mm. not salted that we can use for trying to stimulate their appetite. But it's really That's bland. smart. Deli meats, unsalted deli meats. I'm going to use that yeah. trick. That's a good trick. Yeah. It just has to be very bland, right? So if your right. pet doesn't like bland food, it's going to have some issues. So now I know this topic can all, can keep running, but I did want to get to the other part. Like if if a, if you have an emergency, what should yeah. you be prepared for? Like, like have a plan. Plane. It's kind of like having a fire yeah. escape plan, right? right. Like, exactly. I mean, come on. If you're eight months pregnant, you don't have a dog plan or a cat plan. You need to think of one, you know? Right. So. Yeah. So you have to have that pet sitter. That's something that we talked about earlier. Like you, you're like Kate is yeah, off stream. We were talking about pet sitting. Kate's currently yeah. pet sitting right now. Right. Cause um, our friends, Greyhound uh, shout out to Rocky. He just had, he just had his final teeth removed and mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's a rough process, but uh, yeah. he's, 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 uh, he's keeping in good spirits. And Kate and I did some uh, pet sitting, both of us on Friday uh, and it was, it was really good to see Rocky loves us and we love him too. And it's, it's a that, really good awesome. thing to be able to pet sit for him, yes. uh, post surgery recovery. Um, and our friends are great pet owners. They just like set this surgery appointment so far in advance that they also had some other plans. So it wasn't quite an emergency, but it was like after surgery care. Yeah. So yeah. it's still having that pet sitter set up. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Just that, just that we all should be helping each other with pets. So when we have an emergency, there's somebody that you can reach out to mm-hmm. and not just because you reached out to them because you had an emergency, but there's like an official relationship. You pet sit when they're out of town. They pet sit when you're out of town. If they have an emergency, you're going to back them up. If you have an emergency, they're going to back you up. Mm-hmm. And just having people in your life that really care about your pets. Yeah. Like I do, you know, my pet sitter is somebody that I believe would go above and beyond for my pet in an emergency and would mm-hmm. at least you know, have a good decision-making process, somebody responsible, somebody smart, somebody that has done this before. And, uh, you know, for all the people out there that couldn't find a good pet sitter when they needed one. Yeah. I, I understand that's a really hard situation to trust a boarding facility. I know that's one of the future questions mm-hmm. uh, is, is really difficult too. It's better to have the pet at your home, right? That's what Kate went to their home to pet yeah. sit. Yeah. That's always better. Yeah. Yeah. And she might not be home till midnight, midnight 30, but we love this pet. We like these friends, you know, come on, this is what she, and you know what, like, um, off the top of my mind right now, Albert, we've got four cats that are set up and that's through effort. Like we, we establish relationships with people. We start WhatsApp channels and whenever we go out of town, we talk to them way in advance. 
Um, we print out like a PDF with very clear instructions. We take yeah. photos and put up, we try to make it yeah. easy on automatic yeah. cat feeder. Um, the litter's not automatic, but like, again, we've just, we've set things up to be uh, low maintenance, the water fountain. Like we've, we've set things up to be low maintenance. Uh, we do introduce our cat to our friends. Our cat is part of our lives. She's social. Like she loves our friends as well, you know? So, so, um, and it's, it's, you got to put in the effort. You got to put in the effort with the cat, but also the relationships with the human beings who will watch your cat and introduce yes. or, or dog and introduce this pet to them. Um, take your pets over to your friend's house and visit them. Like, yes. you know? Yeah, we're, we're hitting a lot, man. This is another huge topic. I was also thinking for people that they're, they're only going to go to the vet if there's an emergency is also pretty hard on your pet. Not only is there no medical record for the doctors to use to their advantage, there's also never been an opportunity for your pet to go there and have a good experience. Yeah. So you should be taking your pet to the vet hospital for regular checkups, regular wellness, vaccinations, dewormers, things like that, but also just to go visit. That's something that we always recommend. Go visit the veterinarian with your pet, just like get them weighed and then let them leave. You know what I mean? Check their weight, leave the door. Just little things like that. So you don't you have can do that, that for extra. free too. You can walk in, Absolutely. check their weight yes. and walk away. Right. That's what I'm saying. And veterinary hospitals usually are pretty supportive of those types of uh, behavior, socialization processes, practices. So I think that's also going to help people a lot in an emergency if it's not the first time their pet has been to a veterinarian. Because also the medical record is so important to me as the professional, the one about to see your pet. If I've never seen your pet before and there's no medical history, it, it makes things more complicated. You kind of have to like fly blind. So that's something that we hope people are doing regular wellness, regular checkups, regular blood work if your pet is a senior. So if there is an emergency and your pet is 10, that at least there's some baseline that we can work with as a guide. Yeah. So think of all the variables that happen during an emergency. Yes. Think of it during non-emergency times. Right. Make a list. And yes. what of these things can love normalize this. now? You yes. Know? And I love what you said, that detailed instructions for somebody to take care of your pets. I have a lot of pets. There's a lot of things for somebody yeah. and not to mention the house plants and not to mention, you know, toothless crickets. You got to keep them alive too. Mm -hmm. So now you have like 30 insects you got to keep alive. <laughs> uh, so it's a lot of work. So having those plans written out ahead of time and that they're clear and concise, that they're not in chicken scratch because you had to write them in two minutes before you ran out the door. All those things will help you in emergency. And have your pet sitter over before you go on vacation yeah. and introduce them with the PDF to the plan. Explain everything in person. Like mm -hmm. take little photographs with your phone and add it to the PDF where things are located. We do that. Maybe we put post-it notes where things are located. It's just like make it. I'm not saying your friends are idiots, but make it idiot proof. Cause pretend you're in the same situation, the right. opposite situation. Right. You don't know someone's house as well as they right. know it. You know, you want it to be think of it as like introducing yourself to an Airbnb. The instructions on an Airbnb are for strangers, like, and they're very specific. Well, if they're done correctly, they're very specific. So, right. yeah. Well, very interesting topic. I think there's a lot of subtopics that we could get into in future episodes and we sure. undoubtedly will. Pet health insurance. It's not technically a question, Albert, but I just wanted to give this one its own topic. Um, when I was going over most Google questions, some people were talking about pet health insurance, pet insurance. And it, it just seems like this is a Google term. We've talked about this before. We've touched on this, but let's mm -hmm. give it its own specific topic here. Take it away. Pet insurance. Who needs pet insurance? Uh, everybody who doesn't have $30,000 in reserve for a pet emergency needs pet insurance. 
people are really optimistic that there's never going to be a pet problem, that they're not right. going to have some pet emergency. And foolishly optimistic, though. Very, very foolishly optimistic. And I think, I don't know, the, the real enemy is people having pets that never had an emergency before. So if you had a pet when you were a kid and it lived 15 years and nothing ever went wrong, that's what you think pets are. But most of the time it isn't. Most of the time your pet's going to have some medical issue that's going to require some financial budgeting that you're going to have to right. allocate a good amount of your money, saved or income for whatever's going on with your pet. If you have the relationship with your pet, like I have, that you're going to do whatever it takes. You're going to go above and beyond and you're going to take all the extra steps and you're going to seek the best care and the best help. That's going to strain your wallet if you don't have pet insurance. Pet insurance is a lot like human insurance in that it's less expensive if you get it when they're young and before they have any underlying conditions. Underlying conditions in veterinary medicine is a lot like human medicine. It's up to interpretation and it's going to very much depend on your medical records. So if on your medical record, your doctor has listed any kind of problem, they can use that against you. So you, so it could be like an ear infection or, you know, they had a runny nose and you got doxycycline antibiotic, or, you know, they, they hurt their knee when they're a, a young dog and fell off the couch. They can use all that against you. So you want to get your health insurance when your pet is brand spanking new. Mm -hmm. And what I recommend recommend to people is on your first trip with your brand new kitten or puppy to the vet hospital, when you're seeking insurance is that you don't ask for anything else. You don't mention that your dog vomited a week ago. You don't mention that your dog was limping. You don't mention that your dog had a squinty eye. Don't mention any of those things until after the original exam. It's like human insurance you, with the pre-existing condition stuff, right? Yeah, they'll count it. It's something that you would like, yeah. oh, they 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 ripped a nail on the carpet. They'll count that. Well, this is the yeah. business of insurance companies because for yeah. them, it's a gamble. It's a bet. Like it's a, yeah. And that's right. how they set exactly. the rate. Yeah. Right. And they'll get you. But we had pet insurance for, and I got rid of it because I got uh, a job. So this is, we'll get to it. So the, the insurance is going to be cheaper if you get it young, cheaper if they have no underlying conditions. So get it when they're brand new, get it when they're puppies or kittens and do some price shopping. There are better ones and worse ones. There's VPI has been around the longest veterinary professionals insurance, something like that. Mm -hmm. And then there's Trupanion. And those are the top two that I know of. Okay. They're both pretty good. I had one that was called a healthy pause or something just because it was really cheap. And I liked their business model. Uh, some insurance you pay into, pay into every month, you pay into every month and that's your pool, but you're still going to have like a, uh, what do you, what do you call it? Uh, you have to pay a, a deductible. Yeah. You're yeah. still going to have to have a deductible. Well, that sounds like health savings account. That's what that sounds like. Like that. Exactly. Yeah. The one that I had from healthy pause was we get all the money back for true emergencies only, only true emergencies. We'll get, we'll have to pay the bill up front and then we'll get reimbursed for a hundred percent of it, okay. but they don't cover vaccines. They don't cover spay and neuter. They don't cover like anything that's not an emergency. And that's these what other ours kinds is. Of we have, we have basically, right. I, I hope I'm not making a mistake here, but we basically have um, surgeries and stuff like that. So we had to, uh, we didn't delay her spay by much, but the original, we got health insurance, uh, pet insurance. The first day we took Salty to the vet, um, we did the paperwork for it. But the original space scheduling, we had to delay a little bit because the insurance wouldn't kick in. So read that fine print too, because the insurance might not kick in if they're like, hey, I want to get a, my cat spayed two weeks from now. They're like, well, there's a little Stay bit a of a period of time, like a probationary period before your insurance kicks in. And it's different for every insurance policy. So make sure you read that fine print as well. Absolutely. I recommend 
and just talk to your veterinarian about it. Your veterinarian should recommend one that works well with their wellness and treatment plans. And some animal hospitals have their own form of insurance and they'll call it a puppy plan or a Mm -hmm. senior plan Mm -hmm. or a wellness plan. They have names for it. And essentially, if you're, in my opinion, the difference between a wellness plan and an insurance plan is not a lot of difference. The insurance plan is great if you're not going to be going to the same vet. If you're going to just go to whatever vet is available mm-hmm. at the time, mm-hmm. then you need pet insurance. If you're going to go to the same vet for that pet's whole life, the whole 10, 15, 20 years of its life, then you can use their wellness plan and it'll probably benefit you more to use that particular animal hospital's wellness plan. Uh, the insurance, then you can travel. You can go to any animal hospital that takes that insurance. Do make sure that they take that insurance. And for the most part, every animal hospital will take every insurance because you're just referring it back to the insurance company. You know, the, the animal hospital doesn't have a lot to do with it except for to provide those medical records. As long as they get paid and as long as you get your reimbursement plan. Yeah. 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 And we and every animal hospital really recommends pet insurance because we don't want money to be the limiting factor for patient care. And it often is, right? That's the most limiting factor. Yeah. Yeah. And what I also see people doing is trying to take out like true credit. It's called um, care credit. You ever heard of care yeah. credit? No. Care credit. Is everything's a different for, name out here. That's, a th- that's care, a problem. Yeah. Care credit is reserved for medical emergencies, usually for like single moms and then like pet owners, where it's only for medical emergencies. Okay. And you take out like a line of credit, even if your credit is really bad. Uh, but it can't be too bad. I've seen people get rejected. But I also see people like taking out these emergency loans from care credit and care credit's got a pretty good deal. If you pay it back within six months, there's no interest. Okay. If you make a deal with them, you promise to pay it back in six months, there'll be no interest. Okay. If you promise to pay it back in like a year, there's a little bit of interest, you right. know? Right. And then if you pay it back on time, you get this really great, almost free loan. Yeah. So I think it's a really great option for people that have no other options. However, taking out a loan in an emergency situation, in my experience, isn't going to go well for you. You're going to owe that money. If you're having money problems now, there's a good chance you still will be in six months to a year. Uh, So don't take out that loan if you can uh, Mm -hmm. afford not to. What I've seen other people do is borrow from friends and family at the last moment when they're having a true emergency, they're on the phone frantically calling their aunt and uncle that they haven't talked to in 10 years. I also don't recommend that. I've seen Mm -hmm. people destroy relationships because Mm -hmm. somebody doesn't want to help them with their pet emergency. Don't put that on people. Don't don't put that on somebody that you don't talk to. If it's somebody that you're really close with, sure, you can ask them. But if somebody you're not close with, don't start reaching through your contact list on an emergency. You're not thinking straight. You're not going to react properly. Yeah. Your emotions are all over the place. Don't do that. So but health insurance it, for your pet is really, really, really getting health insurance for your pet. It's like you pay a monthly thing so that you don't have to call your aunt and uncle last second. Like it's just emergency preparedness. What this comes yes. down to is emergency preparedness. You are adopting yes. a life and you need to take it seriously. Is it as expensive as a kid? No, probably not, but still more expensive than maybe you expect. So pet health insurance, it helps mitigate disaster. It helps mitigate catastrophe. I just wanted to riff real quick. Um, for our European viewers, um, we have a few. We're, we're more watched in the United States, but uh, maybe because I'm from Belgium messing with the algorithm, uh, we do have some European viewers. Now, I didn't make myself a pro on this, but from my experience in a couple different countries, um, when we talk about pet health, you've said this before, Albert, when we talk about pet health, think of human medicine first. Okay. 
when we think of pet medicine, think of human medicine first, the one mimics the other. And so the same thing here, common misconception, especially from the American perspective, is that all Europeans have socialized medicine. Yeah, all Europeans have socialized medicine in the sense that it's subsidized in ways that um, for, for every single user in the way that I don't think it is in the States, like there's Medicare, Medicaid. So for super poor people, for and then now there's Obamacare, so you can get a version of it with, with pre-existing conditions, but it's, it's way different out here. Things are cheaper out here. But the one difference is like we pay more for pet health costs than we do for human human health costs like the yeah. human health care is way more subsidized country by country compared to yes. pet health and these pet hospitals are really good at operating at the margins you know maybe they'll have some controversial like dental treatments that are a little bit more optional we've kind of talked about those a little bit and we don't need to get into that but the point is okay maybe some controversy here and there maybe some rough choices here and there but for the most part they're operating at the margins you get your pet spay or neutered you get your pet vaccines they are not ca- charging you more generally speaking than they need to but getting pet health insurance is going to help you out because in Europe, if you get um, an emergency here, say in Belgium, depending on who's at fault, you might not have to pay anything or you do what I do. You end up paying like 118 euros a year and you're covered for all your emergencies, small deductibles. You know, I could go for a broken leg surgery. I think, I think it would be something like 300 bucks out of pocket. Like it's amazing. The same is not true for pets. Like you got to get your pet health insurance. If you are caught uninsured in Europe, it's just, it sounds like it's a similar deal to what it would be in the States. And my brother got his dog's knee um, replaced. This was, this is 10 years ago, but I, I don't think he had like catastrophic pet health insurance in that situation. I think it was like three, four grand. Like it, it was a oh, lot, yeah. man. Oh, it was yeah. a lot of money. Yes. He loves his dog and he got, you know, six, seven good more years out of the dog. So it was worth it. But I mean, not to be brutal, but you know what I mean? It ended up being like a really Absolutely. important knee surgery that gave the dog good, good quality of life. Yeah. But pet health insurance, man, kind of mitigates that stuff. Yes. And uh, the ending on this point, I just wanted to wrap it up with who does not need pet insurance? Who does not need pet insurance? Uh, Rich people, if you just have 20 to 30 grand for expendable income or expendable whatever, yeah, you don't need pet insurance. Uh, also, donate work, to the Pet Peeves podcast. If that's yeah, <laughs> donate to any NPO, any of the any of the animal welfare out there. Donate, donate, rich people. Um, but also, like me, I work in animal medicine. I don't really need insurance. I really don't because I can either work out a deal with where I work or get it pretty cheap or discounted or do a lot of it myself. That's very. Uh, few but I still, I still had pet insurance when I was teaching. But now that I'm working in a clinic, we got rid of it. So I think that's a lot of people that work in animal health and welfare. We need that pet insurance a little bit less. And then last but not least, uh, who does not need pet insurance? People who don't have pets. That's it. Everybody else should get pet insurance. Fair enough. You want to go visit a pet? Go, go walk a dog at a shelter. Go visit your friend's pet. But otherwise, got to have pet insurance. Thanks, Albert. You're welcome. What kinds of jobs can you get working with pets? I want to start, Albert. I want you to explain. Tell us your job title. Talk about your job. And then maybe we can go through some of the other jobs that you can do working with pets. Okay? Awesome. Yeah, I think uh, most people assume that the veterinarian is the job. Like that's the animal job. That's veterinary. Yeah. And that's how I thought when I was young, I didn't know anything about the hierarchy of veterinary professionalism or the job options out there. So it is a really great topic. Probably could talk about for hours, but in an animal hospital, the hierarchy goes K 
kennel attendant, veterinary assistant, veterinary technician, veterinarian. So the veterinary technicians are like the nurses. So I'm a registered veterinary technologist. What does that mean? That means registered. I have a license from the state of California. I had to pass my classes and get my degree. And then I had to take a national veterinary technician exam. And then the reason why I'm a technologist and not a technician is because I have a four-year bachelor's degree in veterinary technology. Most veterinary technician programs only offer an associate's degree. Purdue University's vet tech program offers a bachelor of science degree in veterinary technology. Very few teaching universities offer this four-year degree in veterinary technology. And a lot of the places that used to offer it don't anymore. And some of the states don't even recognize the degree as anything different than the associate's degree. So you really don't need the four-year bachelor's degree to be a veterinary technician. But I have it. My title is different. Technologist. What does that mean for me? Essentially, it means that I'm either going to work in a laboratory and be a lab technician leader, like a lab leader, the lab supervisor. I'm going to teach, which I did for many years, teach veterinary medicine to other people who want to be veterinary professionals or be a hospital clinic manager like I currently am. Uh, other than that, my bachelor's degree would have been pretty pretty worthless. Uh, the reason why I got the bachelor's degree originally is not for any of those jobs, animal hospital administrator or manager, uh, teacher or lab technician. I wanted to be a pharmaceutical sales representative for a pharmaceutical company like uh, Pfizer Animal Health, uh, Zoetis it's called now. So that's something you can also do. You can be a pharmaceutical salesman, veterinarian, registered veterinary technician or a certified technician or licensed technician, depending which state you're from. Veterinary assistants are certified now, kennel attendant, groomer, dog trainer, animal control officer, uh, animal behavior specialist. What else is there? Uh, Probably work in parks as well. Yeah, there's and then there, and then you talk about like, like large animal. You could be a farmer. Like, yeah, yeah, you could work with horses. You work with cows and what about like exotic animals? There's exotic technicians. Then veterinary technicians have all these specialties too. You could be an anesthesia tech. You could be a surgery tech. You could be a soft tissue tech. You could be a dog technician and a cat technician. Uh, there's all these different specializations. So there's all these avenues can go into. But I think the interesting ones are the ones that people don't even know about, like that you can go into lab animal and just work with rats, or you can go into exotic animal and just work with lizards and guinea pigs and birds. Or you can go into avian, avian medicine and just work with birds. Like, I don't know, go on social media and search up animals. Go watch uh, uh, The Real Tarzan. You ever heard of this guy? No. The Real Tarzan, he just works with exotics and wildlife. Wow. And he's got a super interesting, he just does animal rescue. Animal rescue yeah. is another job. Um, and then, you know, teaching, like training cop dogs and yeah. training service animals and oh, training. Don't forget border, like import export. Yeah. Like in New Zealand, for example, they got really tight borders so that they don't lead to a bunch of extinctions uh, on their island. So working in import export, if you care about animals, you can work in import export. It's more of a paper pushing job, but it's very right. important. Oh, and there's all the comfort. My two brothers both work in animal conservation. One of my brothers works at the Dunes National Lake Forest uh, Park in Indiana, and he does tours for the, the, the natural wildlife and the natural plant life that's on the dunes. And he teaches kids like in summer programs and school programs. And my other brother does conservation work all over Indiana, Illinois for uh, natural bird wildlife to try to conserve 
natural bird wildlife when they're right. doing human construction. So he goes in ahead of construction sites and does like testing and observation and records of the birds that currently live there and then try to rehome those birds and push those birds into other natural habitats that they can survive in. And he also does a lot of like, say if there's a bunch of birds near a uh, airport, it's mm -hmm. his job to go get those birds away from the airport and move them somewhere else. That's amazing work. I didn't know your brothers did that. That's, that's yeah, both my I jobs. Have, you have multiple sorry. animal professionals in your family. That's great. Yeah. And my older brother was a butcher and I know that's like gross to some people and seems like he's, you know, inhumane, but he was part of a program that did the most humane butchering that was available. Mm -hmm. And he is certified to do humane butchering, humane euthanasia for the animals that they're going to eat. Mm -hmm. And he did a lot of training. He was traveling the country, teaching people these techniques to have the animals have these painless deaths. Uh, and he had all these kinds of training, all these different tips of how to do it and different tools to use, not just one mm. method or one tool, but multiple tools and multiple methods. That's so my whole family, and he, and he loves animals as much as I do. I've right, been on the right, farm right. with him, with my brother when he was working there and we castrated a calf on the, in the grass, just in the open field with a sharp knife and me and him holding this calf down. And wow. it was really awesome, you know, and to let the calf get up and run away. And it took like five minutes, the whole thing. And, and like uh, you know, learning that kind of medicine yeah. through my brother was really, really interesting. Wow. So there's all these, all these animal jobs, very, 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 very varied tons and of then you get into farming as well, as well, like animal yes. husbandry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And people that work with fish, you know, testing the waters and catching frogs to make sure they don't have any kind of new diseases. Yeah. Animal jobs are just so, uh, so many out there, but it's hard to find them. Like if you and the question, Google, what kinds of jobs can you get working with pets? Don't forget about like nonprofit. Don't forget about volunteering as well. Um, when you were talking about like ethical butchering, um, it made me think of Safari Club International, where you have hunters volunteer to help with just managing a deer population, you know, right. um, and they'll go uh, bow hunting, crossbow hunting, um, especially. And so that way it doesn't create the same amount of noise in their natural habitat that like a gun right. does. But what sure. you're doing is um, take, and I know with Safari Club, I've heard this anecdote that they tend to shoot the deer with a bow and arrow, and then they take the venison and they serve it to homeless shelters. So it, it's it's not like prize hunting. It's to help try to manage. And they, they use data. They use statistics to try to uh, manage the deer population a little bit better. Yeah. The, yeah. There's, there's um, you know, if you're truly an animal lover, there's, there's no real limit. There's things that animals need that we just don't even think about. We don't think mm -hmm. about it. But these animal needs are out there and the people that are helping them need people that want to be there. But it's. Through social media, I have mm -hmm. found so many interesting animal jobs that I didn't know existed. So previously, 2000, before 2006, I didn't know any of these things. I just knew about the animal hospital world. And now through social media and Instagram and Twitter and all that, I have so much more uh, opportunities, more opportunities. And even this pet podcasting, is that not yeah. a job? It is. You could talk about pets. You can do we talked about it earlier. Full day of work doing it, yeah. <laughs> we're doing it, and to do conferences and to go around to talk to people right. about animal right. health. There was a time when I used to go to schools and teach little kids about uh, taking care of pets at home and responsibility. And we would bring like a dog and a cat and a turtle, and mm -hmm. you know, all the kids want pets, and we would talk to them about how if you tell your parent you want a pet, and then your parent gets you a pet, and you don't help them take care of it, that's bad. 
Yeah. That you need to help them walk the dog and give food and water to the to the cat or whatever, you know, and we did speeches and we got paid for that for traveling to elementary schools giving of course speech to kids, me and a doctor. And it was a good time. It was fun. I got out of the building. We got to meet the community. I saw mm-hmm. like teachers would come up to me afterwards and be like, "Wow, that was really great. Can you come to my class and talk to about it one-on-one later?" And people really like this type of information where people can have a one-on-one question answer with a veterinary professional. And, you know, there's another pet job out there, teacher, teacher on the internet, infotainment. <laughs> yeah. Infotainment, edutainment, all of that. So many jobs with pets. There's so many that you mentioned now that I just didn't even think of. And thanks for sharing the, the hierarchy. There, there's so much that I don't know about a pet hospital. Again, I'm only going there for checkups or emergencies. And it's, it's nice to know that like inner workings a little bit. Yeah. So the vet tech is like the nurse. I guess I didn't mention that part. It's like the nurse. Well, and like a nurse, you need a bachelor's degree to do that and pass, uh, you know, you have to have a medical license. Yeah. 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 Exactly. We get it all from human medicine. Yep. Things to consider before boarding your dog at a kennel. Now, I think this is an interesting subject because it's a summer vacation season. And I think a lot of people are looking for either pet sitters or this is an option, you know, taking especially your dog uh, to a kennel. I mentioned dog here. I guess I could have said pet, but I only really know of kennels for dogs. I don't even know if they exist for cats. But anyways, can you help us out with this? You could board your dog or your cat. Uh, The boarding for dogs, what you consider before you go to a boarding facility. you know, realistically, has your pet been confined before? That's going to be most important. Is this your first time confining your pet? If it is, expect that there's going to be some stress and anxiety included in that decision to board your pet. Uh, Just hope that hopefully you don't have to. Hopefully you have somebody that can watch your pet at home. That's better than boarding. But if you are going to board your pet, what I like these days that is sort of new is these uh, boarding facilities that have CCTV. So you can like log in to an app and watch your pet at any time. I think that's an amazing idea. Other than that, hopefully you are using a boarding facility that your veterinarian has recommended. I think the veterinarians have relationships with all the other professionals in and around their area, and they're going to be able to be the best person to direct you. And I wouldn't necessarily follow social media or they have five stars on Google. I wouldn't necessarily follow that. I would ask the veterinarian that's in that area, which boarding facilities do they recommend? If your animal hospital has a boarding facility attached to it, that's probably really better than another option. I've worked for a lot of animal hospitals that have boarding with it. And we try really hard to maintain a high quality of medicine and a high quality of uh, uh, you know environment for that animal. Do I believe a non-medical person is going to have the same ability to recognize problems and troubleshoot Probably not. Of course. So an animal hospital that has boarding attached to it, the vet techs and the veterinary assistants are giving the meds, you know, doing the treatment plans that the doctor has recommended. If you're giving, I've worked at boarding facilities that are not connected to an animal hospital. And you literally have some kid reading a doctor's treatment plan and trying to do it. So I worked at a place where there was tons of dogs that would come with a doctor's treatment plan. And there was a person that was supposed to be doing it. And one day I'm working with this person and just talking to them about their job. And they had no clue what any of those doctor abbreviations wow. meant. Like the medic- medicine will say, like, give P-O-B-I-D times 7-D. Yeah, that means that you're means. giving it by mouth twice yeah. a day for seven days. Okay. The guy told me he didn't know what B-I-D meant. He didn't know what S-I-D meant. He didn't know what those terms meant. Those are very important terms to know if you're going to be giving medication. 
So I knew right then and there, like this guy has been screwing up dogs treatments for months and no one knew about it because there's nobody in the building that has a medical background. And they just gave this kid a piece of paper expecting him to know how to read it. I can't believe that's legal. It's probably not. It probably isn't. Okay. Okay. I was wondering if there were any regulations, but. I'm sure it isn't. The manager of that facility probably could read the paper and know mm-hmm. what it was. I could read the paper and know what it was, but this kid that was just giving the dogs food and the medicine needed to be given with food yeah. didn't know. And he didn't know. He was misdosing these dogs. And I tried to help him and I was teaching him, but he was a young kid. He didn't even care. He's like, I already been doing it this way for so long. Why am I going to change now? It didn't right. seem to I've done the same before. thing over and over again. Why yeah. would I change? <laughs> and I wasn't his boss. So then at the facilities I work now, like the vet assistants give treatments and the vet assistants are trained. They're knowledgeable. They're going to know if the medicine is wrong or if the dog's cat's not doing better, not doing right. So that's something I would look forward also, that if you're going to a boarding facility, hopefully your pet doesn't have any medical condition. If your pet has no medical condition, just regular dog, cat food, water, that's fine. If it has a medical condition, probably find a boarding facility that's attached to an animal hospital. What kind of things should people think about? Um, obviously, kennel cough is kind of famous, but what other kind of diseases can, uh, say, dogs or or even cats pick up at these kind of facilities? Yeah. What's common? Anything, How panicked should people dogs. be? Kennel cough is big for dogs, but kennel cough isn't a big deal. I think people make it into a bigger deal than it okay. really is. Your dog is going to cough for two weeks, and then they're probably going to be fine. Um, for the most part, the, the limiting factor in the kennel cough is just time. Give it two weeks, your pet will stop coughing on its own. If we give antibiotics, we prescribe antibiotics for 14 days, two weeks of treatment. So give it for two weeks and the kennel cough will also go away. Yep. But don't give it. It'll probably also go away. Um, that's my experience. Some animals obviously are more prone to it if they have some underlying condition. If they're immunocompromised, they're going to have a harder time getting rid of the kennel cough and they're going to have a harder time not catching it when they're around. So best bet is to make sure your pets are vaccinated before they go to a boarding facility, it should be required for them to be vaccinated. But the real reason reasoning for that vaccination is if and when your pet picks up another disease at the boarding facility, it's less likely to overwhelm their immune system if they're protected against all the other diseases. Makes sense. So you want your pet protected from all the other diseases that they're probably being exposed to at a facility where there's a lot of animals. Kennel cough is one of them. Parvo. So fecal to oral stuff is what yeah. you really have to be worried about. Fecal to oral for the dogs and the cats. So that's anything that's spread in the feces that's going to be picked up if they lick it because they're walking on the floor. So if the floor, if any pet has had diarrhea and it got on the floor and that diarrhea was, you know, mopped and then spread around mm-hmm. and not given enough time for the disinfectant, the cleaners that we use to kill the disease altogether, because it takes 10 minutes, you know, you can sweep and mop and spray bleach and Rocal and rescue and all these strong disinfectants, but you have to let them set for 10 minutes. A lot of times you don't have that 10 minutes. You're in a hurry. There's a hundred dogs. There's 300 dogs. Yeah, there's all, animals that want to go Eve. places. It's a maze. Yeah. 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 So you're walking the dog across the floor and then they later lick their paws. They're going to catch something if the other dog had it. So how much can they diarrhea, get stuff like Parvo from like socializing? You know how dogs socialize and they put their nose in each other's butts yeah. to say hello. How much can yeah. they get it from that too? Absolutely. Absolutely. Any fecal to oral, any time. And, um, but I'm not seeing it from that so much. I'm seeing it more okay. from the ground, from yeah. their paws, from them yeah. licking their paws is where yeah. we usually see it the most. Okay. And uh, that's obvious. It's in the grass. It's in the dirt. So then they walk yeah. where other dogs have pooped and peed. And if it's in the grass and the dirt, it's harder to see the diarrhea. It's harder to see it. It's way harder to clean it. Yeah. How do you clean diarrhea out of the grass? How do you clean diarrhea out of the dirt? Uh, I just had that issue on Saturday. It's not easy. We tried to use a watering can. Like it's not easy, you know? No. 
And uh, if you're not paying attention, you're not even going to see it. So boarding facilities that also do like group, you know, where they have all the dogs together. That's also really important that none of those dogs are coughing or sneezing right. or have diarrhea. Yeah. And if your dog has diarrhea, it's not a good candidate to send to the boarding facility. Don't send it. You're going to get a bunch of other dogs sick. If your dog is coughing and sneezing, don't send it to the boarding facility. You're going to get a bunch of other animals sick. Uh, but I've worked at the cage-free boarding facilities where all the dogs okay. used to run around together. And it is that. If one dog has diarrhea, they're all going to get it because they're sharing bowls. They're sharing food. They're sharing water. They're sniffing each other's butts. And some of the dogs are gross and are poop eaters. So you have a dog that has diarrhea. The other dog runs up and eats it and then goes drinks from the bowl of water. And they spread that to each other. Literally everybody has it. Yes. And we're like doing all in college. Everybody gets and it. We're, exactly. And we're trying our best. Like I've worked there and we're trying to clean up the poop and we're trying to clean out the water and we're trying to get the diarrhea. I'm dogs sure. I'm sure. It. I mean, you had that but one horror story like, about the one place, but I'm sure a lot of these places are run pretty well and they're trying their right? best, but like, you know, animals spread disease. It just happens. Yes. We just yes. lived through COVID. We, we yes. spread disease, like diseases spread. They want to spread. Um, yes, but the only other thing I want to bring up was about like pet socialization. Don't forget to socialize your dog before you take them to the kennel. You know, if your kennel is your only option, if you don't have a, you know, we've talked about all the the ifs and in a previous segment, we talked about, you know, talking to your friends early, socializing your dog with your friends so that you can have a dog sitter or a cat sitter, um, but also socialize your dog with other dogs, socialize your pet with other animals, make the effort because otherwise that kennel experience is going to be bad. Um, have you heard of situations where a dog wasn't socialized well and gets rejected from like coming back to a kennel after that vacation? Absolutely. Yeah? Yes. So that's another thing. Like most of the time, and I hate to say this, but I'm going to say it. The dogs that are at the boarding facility are usually bad dogs. That's why people send them to the boarding because they're going to make trouble if they leave them alone or if they leave them with anybody because if okay. you have a good dog or a good cat it's probably easier and cheaper to have somebody just come over but if you have a dog that's going to like eat the walls and chew up all your furniture and mm -hmm. destroy your apartment then they end up at the boarding facility so then we're dealing with a lot of dogs that have behavior issues mm -hmm. at the boarding facility and you know trying to retrain them and trying mm -hmm. to give them some basic training that a lot of the reason that's why they're having a separation anxiety at home because mm -hmm. nobody's training them. Somebody got a dog and then the dog grew up and the person's going to work 40, 50 hours a week and they're never home. And the dog just doesn't have basic training. They're not crate yeah. trained, which would definitely eliminate their ability to destroy your apartment. And they don't know like, come sit, stay, how to walk on a leash, all the things that generally calm your dog down by them knowing what to do and knowing what to expect and yeah. knowing how to handle commands. Dogs are always looking for someone to tell them what to do. So the dogs that aren't trained, it's easy. It's easy to train them. It's easy to get them to stop doing whatever they're doing. But some dogs have really bad behavior issues, really ingrained in them, some trauma yeah. or some defect. You know, sometimes it's just their genetics. So those dogs, we have like doggy jail. There's like a cage in the back where you put that dog that keeps fighting with other dogs or keeps, you know, getting into trouble with other dogs. Uh, and that's the kind of dog you keep in that doggy jail for a while to get them to calm down. And then you try to reintroduce them and try to teach them that way. And sometimes you just end up with a dog that's in the doggy jail more than it isn't. And that dog just mm -hmm. should just not come anymore. And uh, sometimes those kinds of dogs, you would just keep in a kennel, you know, not allow to free range with the other dogs. And then somebody's not getting what they paid for it, right? Say you paid for your dog to have the ability to play with other dogs, but it keeps fighting. Area. So they keep yeah. them in a cage and then they don't, they don't tell you and they keep charging you the same amount. Like that's not okay either. So if you know you have a dog that doesn't get along with other dogs, if you know that your dog is, 
you know, doesn't like other dogs could just be it. That cage free kennel might not be the best option for you. I think that's, that's about as much as we're going to go on this topic, but in the future, we really should cover about uh, socializing animals. I mean, there's a lot of different topics we could talk about with socializing animals. I think it's incredibly important, but uh, for sure, that's good on that one. What's the best way to approach searching for a lost pet? I mean, talk about an emergency situation, but I suppose a little bit different than going to the hospital. You know, it's, it's, it's summer, um, a cat got out, open window, something like that, and, and, or a dog got out and you need to hang up posters and this and that. Albert, what would you recommend? I recommend that everybody took the advice of their veterinary professional and got their pet microchipped before this pet got lost. If your pet is truly lost and it's not microchipped, the chances of you getting your pet back are so much lower, mm -hmm. so much lower. There's just, you know, what people don't consider is that if your pet gets lost and someone finds your pet, that person isn't necessarily going to give it back. They might not. If your pet is really cute and really nice and really well-trained and well-groomed and well-kept, somebody might find that pet and be like, happy birthday to me. But if your pet is microchipped, then they can't do that. The animal professional that eventually, hopefully, if you're putting out that your pet is missing and you know, you're putting it on all the websites and all the Facebook groups and everything in your town, all the shelters, all the animal control officers have a poster. They're hopefully going to scan the microchip on that pet mm -hmm. and link it back to you. And we are required as veterinary professionals that if that microchip is linked to somebody who's not with the pet right there, we have to contact that person. Yeah. I, I do think that there's been times when the person has a good story, like, oh, we rescued this dog from the shelter. It already had a chip. We just never changed the information to ours. I might believe that story, which is unfortunate, but I do give people the benefit of the doubt. But if your pet is not microchipped and you're not putting out those posters, so that's the other thing. If your pet is lost, you have to make flyers, put them around, take them to the shelter, put flyers up at the shelter, hand them to those animal control there's officers. There's also social media them. posters. Like there's, there's yeah, Facebook groups. For sure. Yeah, there's something called Paw Boost. Paw mm -hmm. Boost we used for when we found a dog in the street. We were trying to find its owner. We put it all on Paw Boost and all the lost dog Facebook groups. Mm -hmm. And uh, we never found somebody looking for their dog. So that was, that's heartbreaking, but it's also yeah. kind of, um, you know, it's a, an, a, a red flag. If someone's not looking for their own pet, then they're probably not the best pet owner, especially if you found that pet in the street somewhere. So if they're not microchipped and no one's looking for them, that pet probably needs to find a new home anyway. So that's also the, the sad truth. If your pet gets lost, it's a lot of the times the owner's fault. You didn't mm -hmm. lock your gate. Yeah. You didn't, you knew your dog or cat likes to sneak out the door and nobody mm -hmm. was watching and all these things. Like if you know, you have a flight risk pet, you need to mm -hmm. take precaution. You need to have two doors or don't ever open the door unless the dog's in the other room right. or the cat's in the other right. room or things like that. When I was a kid, my dog jumped out of a window, pushed the screen out. Oh my goodness. He got hit by a car. Oh my God. So that was like, you know, up to, up to us to make sure those screens were dog safe and secure and, mm -hmm up to us to know my dog really, really liked to get out. She was always trying to get out mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, we could have been more preventative, but we always thought that we were ahead of it a little bit. You know, we always thought she was jumping over the fence. So we got a taller fence. Then she started digging under the fence. So we started leashing her to, to the tree. Mm -hmm. So you're always like a step behind. You have to be a step ahead. So your pet doesn't get lost. But if your pet is ever lost, I hope you have a collar with some contact information on it. 
The caller is going to be the first thing that someone's going to see and look at. The contact information should be updated if you've moved, if your phone number is different mm -hmm. and it's not updated on that pets tag. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a waste of time. And then that microchip, I can't stress enough the microchip, the microchip, the microchip. If so the microchip is, not, is, it's like a legal requirement. If you want to get a pet that actually has papers, that actually has its, the vaccines are mandatory. The microchip is mandatory. The spay or the neuter is mandatory unless you have papers to be a specific breeder. So yeah. the only way people avoid the, all of that, the microchip, the vaccines, the cost. I mean, I think that's the reason a lot of people do out here is they've just got some kind of like roof cat that they feed, you know, and, and, and that's about it. And they don't actually go through all the process. But if you take your, your cat or dog to the vet once microchip is automatic. It's like the first thing they do. So, um, yeah, when we took salty, we checked for posters. Uh, we didn't see any, we checked Facebook, didn't see any took salty to the vet. Um, we didn't actually give the cat a name at first. Cause we were like, we don't want to get attached. Like this is, and we took the cat to the vet first thing, no microchip. And he's like, this is a stray. This is your cat. Do you want this cat? Right. Congratulations. You have a new family member. There you that's go. Fine. You did all because the right that's stuff. the thing in Belgium. Everybody, every cat has every dog, every cat has a chip. So the vet was able to assume, I mean, this has to be right. a stray. It's like five months old and no chip. Oh, so yeah. Yeah, um, also had behavior had never been to the vet before. Furthermore, the police, have scanners all the time. That's awesome. So my question to you was in California, this is not a requirement. It's still optional. If you are adopting a pet from a shelter, it's absolutely required. They have okay. to have vaccines. They have to have a microchip. They have to have a okay. spay or neuter or they can't be adopted. If you're getting which is, a pet, which, is, from, which I uh, think is great. And I, and, and hopefully that'll kind of grandfather it in yeah. uh, gradually through time. I, I work, my, my nonprofit works for Michelson foundation. Michelson foundation is a doctor, a, a doctor who donates a hundred percent donates microchips to animal facilities so they can get them for free. This guy, uh, after Katrina happened in, uh, Louisiana, yeah. whenever that was, yeah. 2005 or something Five, i think yeah. yeah so when katrina happened a bunch of dogs were mishomed a bunch of dogs lost their home and so many dogs didn't have microchips and if they had microchips they would have been found their owners immediately so because of that this dr michelson started a foundation that gives microchips to everybody so if you're somewhere and you don't have a microchip find where this guy is giving them out for free yeah and even if they're not free they're pretty affordable they're like 40 to 50 bucks for a microchip, I, totally I worth it. What ours was, it was whatever, it was reasonable. Yeah, it's yeah. totally worth it. It's a lifetime. It lasts forever. I have, and hopefully we can end on this. I have seen recently uh, GPS trackers that you can put in your pet's collar, and you can literally yeah. have a low jack on your pet and know where they are at all times. And I hope that becomes a regular thing for people who have outside pets. If you have an outside cat, get one of those. My brother has this with his greyhound because greyhounds can run far away very quickly. That's so, yeah, I think that's you know. a really, really awesome new product. It was kind of big. I hope they improve the technology as time goes on and they get smaller. And hopefully they'll be in the chip one day. I think that'd be freaking awesome. Uh, one of these days. Well, I mean, yeah. come on. It's 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 just going to... It's it's probably about making it small and making it affordable, right? Absolutely. Do pets look like their owners? Do they take after their personalities? Do, do pets resemble their owners in any way? Like you have a lot of experience with pets, Albert. You've met thousands of pets that the rest of us just haven't yet. And this one's kind of silly. It's not very scientific, but <laughs> what do you think, man? I think people choose dogs that look like them. <laughs> they choose okay. pets that look like them. Not that they eventually start looking like their owner. 
Uh, but maybe it's true. Sometimes I look at my dog and cat and I'm like, how come you guys look so Mexican? It's so funny. <laughs> but I just, I just think that you just imagine it probably, it's probably not that they look like you. You just start to see yourself in them because you spend so much time together. And then also like just that, sh- that sheer undeniable fact that you can find all those pictures on the internet of people that look like their pets and yeah. it's undeniable. But you know, if you do it on purpose by making your hair look a certain way and making the pet's fur look a certain way, then that's different. But in the most part, I think people pick out animals that they identify with. They identify with a okay. particular pet for whatever reason. It looks like uh, them or it looks like something they grew up with or it looks like, I don't know what, but that's that's what they gravitate towards. And it seems like that a lot. Like people that really like a particular breed, people that really like a particular species, and they have some resemblance. I don't know what it's, it's uncanny. I don't know what it is. So that's the personalities, but the personalities, I really want to know about that one. Cause everybody is like your children take after your personality, like nature over nurture. But what about pets? I think it's very similar. I think your pets follow you around all day. They see what you're doing all day. And like my pets watch my wife put on makeup. Like they watch her, like they watch her, like, what is she doing? You know what I mean? And they're very <laughs> curious. They're very curious about what we're doing. And I think that what we know about dogs and cats, I mean, they do have communities when they're around other dogs and cats. They have packs or they have communities and they act like each other. They learn from each other. A puppy is going to learn from an older dog. A kitten's going to learn from an older cat. So for our pets to be around us and our tendencies and consistencies and our routines, they get used to too. So I think we should all get our pets used to doing chores teach your pet how to do the laundry and wash the dishes because they need to pick up from our shortcomings. So teach your pet the good parts of the personalities, teach them routine, how to be a part of the pack and be useful. Do laundry. Yeah. got to get her to start. Although, I mean, salty helps us make the bed or rather when we're making the bed, uh, she loves to like run up under the covers or just fight the covers or get yeah. on her back like jujitsu cat and scratch at everything. Yeah. So that's what my so. cat does too. We flip the sheet and she goes under there and attacks the waves. It's awesome. The shadows. So we have so a cute. we have a punk rock song um, titled "Cleaning the Bed Is Also Play" and we often <laughs> sing it. Or what? Making the bed is also play because making yeah, the is. bed is also play. Awesome. Uh, there was she did a new one. We did the fitted sheet. She snuck under the fitted sheet before we got it on. She's like, oh, yeah. Oh, I'm here right now. We tried to get her out of it. She didn't want to get out of it. She's like, this is a game. This That's is a funny. playground. So um, it's funny. My, dog, my, my, cat, my cat does the same thing. She gets on. She wants to be involved in the bed making every time. She wants yeah. to help us. Yeah. And then she gets trapped in there, the fitted sheet or the top sheet. She goes under there and she won't come out. And then the dog will come and like attack her lump, you know? And then they're just like totally unmaking the bed (laughs) right after we got done making it. So maybe we'll have to do a punk rock music video for making the bed is also play. And we'll put it on the pet piece podcast. And we'll make it go viral. It'll be the new TikTok. (laughs) We got a couple of good tunes. uh, Salty. It's interesting. You mentioned like routine and chores, because I think she does think she has a chore and that is to wake us up at four in the morning, Uh, (laughs) like to wake us up in the morning to be our alarm clock. Right. Um, and then at night, putting us to bed at night, putting us to bed. That is like the sweetest thing is our cat has to go to bed at our feet. And you know what? She doesn't want to sleep. She's nocturnal. She's going to get up in like, you know, 20 minutes, but it's a job. She has one job, you know, and it's to make sure. And like Kate and I were having heated discussion, not even angry at each other, just like 
angry at something in the world together, you know, in chorus, right. chorus. And the cat didn't really tell the difference. And the cat just looked at us meowed. She also is a breaker up of like fights or what she perceives to be fights, you know? So I, I don't know. I think oh, yeah. they're not the chores we wish they would do, you know, they not, you know, your dog's not going to mow the lawn. So although your cow yeah. might, you could get a cow. They do jobs. There you Some go. animals naturally do chores, but anyways, sure. our dogs and cats are not very good at chores, you know, but, uh, but they, they think they do chores. We could start finding stuff like my paraplegic kitten went under the bed and mm-hmm. then came out and was all full of dust. And I'm like, Oh, thanks. Thanks for being a Swiffer today. <laughs> thanks for being a Swiffer today, Mr. Paraplegic kitten. So sometimes they don't even know they're helping. <laughs> and furthermore, you know, your robot vacuum could be a pet. So, Oh yeah. That's been in a previous episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, here we go. I got to get the button to work. What are some of the best and worst names of pets you've come across? Best and worst. Uh, That's hard. The best names, I think, are the ones that are puns. I like puns for pet names. Of course. Right? Yeah, so some of the good ones that I heard recently, here's one Here's one was one of mine. There was a cat we found in the street that had no name. So I called her Street Cat Named Desire. That's her full name. <laughs> street Cat Named Desire. Short name, Desire. I don't know if everybody gets that reference, but that's good. That's really good. That's a good. great Marlon Brando yeah. reference. If you've never seen Street Cat Named Desire, it's a great movie. And a play, uh, and too. Then, yeah. Play, actually, play. And my doctor said that actually that wasn't an original name that him and another doctor friend had named a cat that years before, but it was too long. So they changed the cat's name to Stella. And I thought that mm. was cool. That's also, a name. <laughs> also a reference from that movie. So that, that's a cool name. I also named a cat that had mange. The cat mm-hmm. had mange for people that don't know. It's a parasite. It's a uh, mites. Mm-hmm. sarcoptic mange in the in the fur and it makes them look all like they're losing their fur Patchy. Like, yeah yeah it looks like a burn victim mm-hmm. so his name was floyd and floyd had mange so i named him floyd mange weather, weather. <laughs> floyd and that's a very popular name going around right now and then there was another cat uh that they named obi-wan obi-wan but there was another cat already named obi-wan so we can't have two cats with the same name in our system or we can't search it both cats will come up and we don't know which one's which. So we named the cat Obi-Wan Cannoli. Cannoli, like the Italian dessert? Like the Italian dessert. All right. I like Honey that. for no reason is also cool for pets. We, um, you know, so so I chose Salty's name and her full name is Salty Caramel Ice Cream with a shot of espresso because <laughs> she looks like Salty Caramel Ice Cream with a shot of espresso, which is a really good dessert, you know, like m- nice, nice morning, like breakfast dessert. Right. Um, Kate named our previous cat. She um, because she thought that at first she found the cat out of a window and the cat um, she thought was female in hindsight i have no idea why she ever thought this cat was female she's given off a lot of male vibes but whatever anyway she thought that and she thought fierce independent 
female cat. And she and a friend were doing some brainstorming about possible names. And they found out about this uh, pirate Captain Xi, spelled S-H-I-H, from China, that was such a powerful pirate captain in the Indian Ocean um, during that kind of Indian Ocean golden age of of naval trade that she even made the emperor bend the knee. So this female pirate queen, right, was this dominating. And it turns out that uh, our pirate queen had a penis. So, you know, it was really confusing that we had a male cat named she. I don't know if that's the best name, but it was certainly a point of conversation. You yeah, know, sure. no, it's it like cool. a boy named Sue, you know? Right. No, it was cool. I think that was a cool name. It is a cool name. Like you guys did a great job. The names that I don't like now are to the worst <laughs> are names that are too common. I hate when people name their dog Max. I hate it. When people name their dog, their female dog Princess. I hate it. Or Queenie. Or just those really Fido. If I ever meet another Fido, that's like, it's too much. It's too much. You need to be more creative with your pet names. Mm-hmm. Be more you give creative. that professional advice. Like, okay, Fido's doing quite well, but you need to name your dog something else. You need to change your pet name. Yes. <laughs> be creative with your pet names. Uh, there are websites for creative pet names. I like oh, those. Also going with like uh, non-American national names. You know, people okay. want to use these traditional American English words and names for their pets. Go to a different language. Name your pet something random in yeah, French. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Name your cat chair in French. That's cool. Like, that's cool. But to name your dog or cat like mittens or something like that is mm-hmm. just so uncreative. It's so lazy to me. So the other names that I think are are avoidable but funny that I like a little bit more are when you name your pet like a human name, like a dog named Jeff. Like, I kind of hate it, but I kind of like it, you know? <laughs> A, a cat named Jessica, you know, there's yeah. Jessica cats and things like that. Matthew cat. And uh, I thought those were funny, but uh, other than that, I don't know. I think try to be creative. Sure you have this one opportunity. Had, like, Bob the dog. I, I think it was Bob the yeah. dog. Yeah. That could be cute. That could be funny. And it's like a dog. If your dog looks like a Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, you know, <laughs> I think those are cool. I've never met a dog that looks like a Jeff, but I mean, you know, I imagine, yeah, okay. Yeah. All I'm saying is don't be lazy with your pet naming. Be creative, right. something cool. You have this one chance to name your pet yeah. something cool. Don't don't waste it on Max. Do you see some local names coming up in LA? Do you see like celebrity names coming up or stuff like that? Because I know yeah. when I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, there's so many like Woody's and Trestles and yeah. Brutus, like all Ohio State football fan dog names. We named our dog Woody. You know, it's like that was really common in kind of that Ohio State football influence sphere. I'm sure like there are so many yeah. dogs in like Alabama named Saban. I mean, there have to be, you know. We have a lot of celebrity pet names. Like mm-hmm. there's Leonardo DiCaprio. Okay. You know, there's there's like that. There's a lot of pet names that are celebrity based uh billy yeah. eyelash billy uh, eyelash okay. one of our cats yeah uh, aquaman like different marvel characters there's a lot yeah. of iron mans and hercules are uh hulks out there yeah Thor's and loki is a popular name right now anything marvel anything hollywood in la is pretty popular names that makes sense and then like sports there's a lot of right dodger and rams and yeah Things like that. A lot of, uh, you know, pro athlete names, dogs named Kobe. You get Kobe's. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of Kobe. I don't see any LeBrons out there. Not yet. I feel like I'm going to find a LeBron. 
Yeah. I feel like maybe somebody from Cleveland named the dog LeBron and then disowned it. So <laughs> move that dog to <laughs> Miami and then to LA. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's a bunch of trends. Um, one of our friends uh, adopted a dog when they were out here and then they moved back to Colorado and they named the dog Fritz, which is the name for French fries. In yeah, that's Bel- cool. You know, Belgian fries, so Fritz, Palm Fritz. Yes. So it sounds like Fritz, but it's not. It's Fritz. So Fritz. yeah, dog is still Belgian named Fritz. Fritz. Living out there in Colorado. So, all right, that was some fun. Pets on wheels. So we've talked about pets with disabilities before, but this one's more specific, more like physical disabilities. And the thing I want to ask you is, Albert, is not necessarily, yeah, we can talk about the disability, of course, but some of the treatments, some of the the tech, some of the devices that are used to help that pet have a little bit more of a mobile life. And, you know, your choice if you want to do show and tell at the moment, but um, sure. I know this is something you face a lot at the, at the animal hospital. Absolutely. Yeah. Great, great topic uh, to have a pet that has some mobility issues is always difficult, but it is the fastest and easiest way to go viral on TikTok is to have a pet that is paralyzed yeah. in some way. People love the uh, paralyzed dog and cat, dog, three-legged dogs, three-legged cats, cats in wheelchairs, dogs and buggies, and people love that stuff. Champion like that. From, uh, from Parks and Rec, yeah. They, they just want that feel-good story that this animal that mm-hmm. had a low quality of life suddenly has a higher quality of life just based on someone's willingness to help out and be patient. But the wheels and the devices and the mechanisms to try to help these immobile animals are not so cut and dry. First of all, it's really hard to get wheels on a cat. They just okay. don't have the upper body strength that you need. They don't have the, the, their body length versus like head weight and hip weight. Yeah. There's not enough support in their underbelly to keep them from sagging like a dog has more ability to keep themselves upright mm. and straight to pull themselves on a wheel than a cat. Yeah. So it's really hard to find wheels on a cat. For dogs and cats, once you get them on wheels, you still have to find a way for them to use the restroom. If your dog or cat is sitting in some kind of wheelchair or sitting on some type of apparatus, they can't go to the bathroom. So yeah. for all of these paralyzed animals, like the one I have now, where's, where's Nugget? I hope it comes out. Here's Mr. Turn Nugget. Your, turn your screen blur off a little bit. Although we can see Nugget pretty well. Here's Mr. Nugget. He lives in a sock because he's paralyzed from the waist down. A door closed on him. He's my buddy. And Aww. he's, uh, you know, in the sock so he could drag himself around. Let me turn off the blur. And he can move around and he can get around pretty well, but he cannot get in and out of a litter box, right? That's going to be always impossible for him. So for some of these cats that we have on uh, at my work where we have them for long periods of time and we're trying to come up with really good solutions to their problems, having a flat litter box works. Mm -hmm. Uh, Litter boxes that are from made out of cardboard boxes, like the lid Mm -hmm. to a shoe box, something like that. Mm -hmm. And we just pull down the sides. So they can crawl into it and use the litter box. And that does help for the cats that live in a shoreline or live in a run at our facility. Okay. But for a cat at home, they, they're not going to, my cat, my cat here, this paralyzed kitty has no control over the bowels and the bladder. So even if I had the litter box, the cat wouldn't even know to go there. So I have to stimulate this kitty. I have to actually stimulate him to go to the bathroom and then dispose of that waste. So uh, with the wheels, I think it's really easy to find something that works with your dog. 
a dog can have a wheelchair, a dog can have a buggy, and the dogs are pretty good at using them, but you're still going to have to have help them use the bathroom. Yeah. The cats have a harder time on wheels. I have seen the, there's an Instagram page. I wish I would have looked it up, but there's an Instagram page that has a lady that she works with nothing but paralyzed cats and they build these wheelchairs for the cats to have some mobility. Wow. But then the cat can't climb. They can't go up ramps. They can't go climb on the cat pole. They can't climb on the furniture because they're attached to these wheelchairs. So for my kitty that's in the sock, he can pull himself onto the couch. He could pull himself up on the bed. He can climb the stairs and get onto the bed that that we have the stairs for the dog. So he has more mobility with the sock than he would with uh, a buggy or wheels or something attached to his body. I bet even those shoulders start getting strong doing all that. Yeah. Oh my God, dude. He's jacked. Yeah. He's jacked. Yeah. His arms yeah. are huge compared to obviously his yeah. back legs that don't work. They're like little toothpicks, but his front arms are getting big. And uh, for the cats that we have at my facility that we've been working with for long term, because I've only been working with him for like three weeks and I'm still having to do little uh, physical therapy with his I can back see leg. him in your blur. He's like, he's, he's running around. Like he's still, yeah, he's living his best life, man. He, yeah. And he's, active he's back there running around and he's, and he's doing really well, but I have to physical therapy, his back legs. So they don't get more atrophied. And mm-hmm. I think at some point I hope to see some progress. I believe in physical therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't just put your pet in a wheelchair and walk away. Your pet that's in a wheelchair has some kind of spinal issue or some n- nerve problem. Physical therapy helps, uh, acupuncture helps, water therapy helps, massage therapy helps steroids can help there's Same a lot of things you can do medicine. yeah 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 cold laser therapy I, I, those help those red lasers that are not hot you know it's just for therapy laser those work um i've seen chiropractic medicine where they're doing like actual um it's like percussion on the spine they have this okay. instrument that like thuds their their vertebrae mm-hmm. and it and it helps mm-hmm. so i've seen all these different kinds of therapies help a lot for your pets in wheelchairs um, but definitely do your research we bought a wheelchair for a cat at work and it didn't fit, even though okay. we sent them all the measurements. Like we had to do real careful measuring. Okay. Okay. We sent it to them and they sent it back and it, and it didn't work. Okay. So do your research. Make sure you have a return policy if you're going to buy something for a pet. Mm. Also, what you're probably going to have more luck with is building one yourself. Go to the okay. toy store, go to the toy store, buy some toy trucks, get yourself some straps and some way to harness your pet into there, uh, some tape, watch some YouTube videos. And uh, we've done that a lot too, building them ourselves from toys at the toy store. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Have you seen, uh, my final question on this is like, in your professional experience, have you seen a lot of growth in this area in the last decade or decade plus? I've seen people be more creative with it because like I said, you could post it on TikTok and go viral, but I don't see a whole lot of improvement in the overall condition of the pets or any solutions to the long-term problem of how to get these pets walking again. I think overall, if you're having a paralyzed cat or dog that's in a wheelchair or another kind of apparatus, uh, them getting around is the easiest problem to solve. It's all the other issues that you have to be considerate of. Yeah. Okay. Good. Really interesting stuff. Okay. And this is our final question of the day, Albert. Do homeless people have pets? Yes, of course. Homeless people have pets, but they're not pets. They're companions. Homeless people make the best pet owners. They, they definitely do. And I don't know how to water that statement down. Pet owners need to be there present and have that pet be a big part of their life. And for someone who lives outside or lives in their car and their pet is their closest companion and mm-hmm. their 
only sense of security and um, normalcy. You know, for a lot of people that are homeless, it's because of mental health issues or addiction or something else going on with them that's easy for another person to judge them. And that judgment doesn't exist with your pet. They're not going to judge you. So I think those those homeless people that have pets, it's much more of a companion than a pet. Much better pet owners than a lot of other people that I meet that are totally neglectful of their pets and don't appreciate their pets. And definitely sometimes it seems like those pets are taking care of the homeless person. As opposed mm, to the home, yeah. the, the homeless person taking care of that animal. Yeah. The animal yeah. is like the one watching out and the one that's staying focused and clear about protection and safety and like how to avoid injury and death. That animal has got more keen senses than that person a lot of times. Right, right. And right, for right. all the events I've done and all the clinics we've done, helping homeless people with their pets, vaccine clinics, and uh, you know, low cost or free examinations or low cost or free surgeries for people that uh, are financially unable because they live in their cars or they live at the beach or they're homeless. Uh, they, they're, they're just like everybody else. They're just like everybody else. They have the same kind of questions. They have the same kind of limitations in their knowledge and their experience. They definitely need the same services. They need mm -hmm. their nails trimmed. They need their ears clean. They need vaccinations. They need spay or neuter. So the conversation you're having with them is very similar. Uh, sometimes they have more poignant questions, more relevant questions because they're spending more time with their pets. So they they know more about their pets day to day than someone who doesn't do that. And, uh, you know, they, they definitely benefit from those services. Like if you live right. in a city that has free services for pet owners, uh, you have to just get the word out. I've done those clinics where there's lines around the block with homeless wow. people that want their pets helped. And then I've done other ones where there's like two or three people all day because they didn't advertise well and they didn't okay. let anybody know. So, yeah. uh, you know, that's like a whole wasted day. So these... Yeah. People out there that are interested in this, helping homeless uh, pet companion owners, uh, there's definitely resources out there. I worked with the ASPCA and I worked with um, Los Angeles Animal Services that uh, hooked me up with those jobs. And I volunteered for some of them and I got paid for others. So there's volunteer opportunity and then there's paid opportunity too. If you want to service those homeless communities in and around any major city, it exists. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I, I was kind of hoping, you know, we don't, pre-talk about these questions, it's kind of difficult to do a podcast twice, right? Mm -hmm. And I was really curious about your response to this. It's cool that you guys do a lot of volunteer services and, and help a lot of homeless people with um, with their pets. Because I mean, yeah, I mean, talk about someone who's like a, your, your closest family at that point, you know, like this is your your number one companion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think are there, the are there any issues with like are... nutrition when it comes to like in clean water sources for when it comes to homeless uh, pets? I mean, I assume so, but what I've seen, not really, because for Los Angeles has such an amazing system for helping people with their pets. You could get free food. You could get free medicine. Okay. You just have okay. to go ask. If you go to the shelter and say, if you don't give me free food and medicine, I'm going to have to relinquish my pet. They're going to give you free food and medicine. They're going to give you a voucher or they're going to send you somewhere that works with them and they're going to give you what you need for free. Wow. So there's really never a financial reason why someone should be giving up their pets in the city of Los Angeles. Not every city is going to be as accommodating. Not everybody's going to know these services exist right. or are options for them. But I've never seen a homeless dog starving to death. You know, it seems like the homeless people help, you know, they're going to share their meal. They're even going to yeah. feed the dog before themselves. I've seen that too. If you find a scrap in the garbage can and you both haven't eaten today, you're going to give it to your buddy. You know, that's what I see homeless people doing. Uh, and I really respect that. And I also find people in my position eventually get tired of helping 
helping pet owners and clients. We appreciate helping people that don't have money because they're more appreciative. They're more respectful. They honor us and our ability and our knowledge more than someone who's paying us and has like an expectation for service and customer service. Hmm. And when you're helping the homeless and you're helping people who never get helped, they just like, you're, they're your friend and you're just helping your friend. That's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Sometimes you need a break from, uh, you know, helping people that are paying. It's nice <laughs> to help people that are not paying sometimes. That's why it's nice to volunteer. It's real, real soul of the earth experience there. Yeah. All right, Albert. Well, that was um, a really, you know, it's interesting. The more we do this podcast, um, the more I worry, like, are we going to have things to talk about? I feel like, <laughs> you know, as as a producer coming up with these questions, I feel like th- there's a zero sum thing that I won't be able to come up with more questions, more content, more this and that, that we're just going to like talk about the same couple points here and there. But I mean, this episode four is just proof that the opposite is true. I feel yeah. like, you know, this is the longest episode we've ever recorded. And yet, and yet it feels more concentrated with yeah, information right. than any other episode. It's like, right. it feels like there's less stories, like fewer stories, less banter, and just all important information. Each <laughs> one of these segments, I think, okay, maybe the names one was a bit playful. Although if you name sure. your pet Fido, like, come on, do better. But like a lot of the other points we hit on today, man, you're giving the people like, exactly yeah, what they're asking for you know gems, really answers questions there's no limit man we can keep doing this and then we've never even talked about like specific diseases like we kind of touched on kennel cough you know what i mean but other than that what specific diseases have we ever talked about so it's unlimited content i mean we've like touched a little bit on vaccines and like the different things that are covered in vaccines again anecdotally we've talked about some separate diseases right but not a ton not a right. ton so Looking forward to the next episode, man. Um, I know we took a little break off there. Uh, sorry, everybody. My life got busy and I'm doing the editing. Hi, Nugget. That is a really cute cat. Yeah, he's my buddy. Guys, go look up adoption centers. Go look up foster care, you know? So, you know, foster Albert nugget. is fostering yet another kitty cat that's a, a cutie, special needs. But, you know, there's there's a lot of opportunities out there. So, so microchip your pets. A lot of things we learned today. All right. Well, let's get into the ending here. Really great episode, man. I just wanted to make a point before we go into the final thing here. I I was honestly a little worried when I was planning today. Oh, gosh, what are we going to talk about? And it's just there's so much. There's so much to talk about. (laughs) So. All right. So, everyone, thanks for listening to another. This is episode four. Um, uh, Veterinary Professional Answers, our new rebranding here, which we hope you like the new name. Um, if you have pet related questions to ask for Albert that you would like to have answered on the show, please email it to pet peeves podcast at gmail.com. We're still using questions from the internet, which is fine. We've, we've got a lot of questions on the internet. As you, as we just said, like we can, we can talk about stuff all day long, um, week after week, but we would really love to hear from you. So if you have a specific pet question please email it to us again that's pet peeves podcast at gmail.com all right and you know thanks everybody for listening to another episode and uh be sure to check us out on youtube apple podcast spotify stitcher albert tell us where else we can find you 
Uh, you can find Instagram at Pet Peeves Podcast, on Twitter at Pet Peeves Pod. You can find me on Instagram at Albert the Comedian. And you can also find me on Twitter at Albert M. Escobedo. And uh, yeah, find all the pet content, all the stuff we're doing on the side, and a bunch of pictures and videos of mamas and Toothless the dragon there. You doing any uh, comedy shows coming up? Yes, I have a comedy show at Club B in North Hollywood on July 30th at 7.30 p.m. I'm doing uh, L.A. Basement Fest September 22nd in Los Angeles. And I will be uh, doing another show. Where's uh, July 16th? I think I have another show. So July 16th, July 30th, September 22nd are the shows that I know I have coming up soon. Those are so the big guys shows. are in the LA area. I'll try to get this episode out before the 16th, but definitely the 30th. And what was the September show again? September 22nd, LA Basement Fest. That's going to be September a big 22nd. One. So when you listen to this episode, mark that in your calendar. Go out and see some comedy, people. Come on. COVID yeah. ain't what it used to be. Go out and see some comedy. Come so. get those laughs. All right. Thanks, Albert. Really great episode. Thank you, everybody, for watching. And uh, be sure to check out the clips. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, Mike.